Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Conference USA podcast. Eric Henry, FIU beat writer. Uh, as always, you joined or usually joined by uh, my fellow co-host Joe Lonergan. You're used to the um, melodic stylings of his oh-so-comforting voice. However, he has earned a well-deserved rest from his usual uh, you know, beings up there in the Pacific Northwest. But don't fret, I have a special guest, a friend of the podcast, someone you are very familiar with, going to introduce him in a second. But again, thank you for joining us. Uh, you just heard our last episode, which was Louisiana Tech head coach Sonny Cumbie. So really appreciate Coach Cumbie and the folks at Louisiana Tech for making him available. You heard his journey from Lubbock, Texas, his time at Texas Tech. And of course, he is a disciple of Gary Patterson. Time's been at TCU and made his way back to Lubbock, was the offensive coordinator down there at Tech the past few years, and now, of course, took the opportunity at Louisiana Tech. So really appreciate him for making some time and hope you guys had a chance to listen to that episode and hope you enjoyed it. But without further ado, we are taping this on June 29th, which means we are right in the swing of Conference USA college football previews. And for my money, one of the best previews around. Of course, I'm biased. I mean, listen, I hope you take a swing at our previews as well. But in addition to our previews, you know, we like to share the wealth conference USA. It's the more the merrier. And this man produces one of the best previews around, if not the best. And that is Mr. Matthew Bartlett. You know him as the managing editor of the roost, but of course, again, this time of year, he does all things conference USA. So Matt, welcome back to the underdog dynasty podcast, sir. Thank you. That was uh, quite an introduction. I have some hype to live up to. Uh, not at all, man. You know, you are a long time. You're not a situation where it's, you know, long time listener, first time caller, regular listeners. To this podcast know your voice. They know you all too well. And they uh, should listen. You know, you deserve all of the kudos and praise that comes with the labor of love. Listen, I have not, uh, you know, gone on and, and really um, got into the undertaking that is produce an entire conference preview. I've, I've considered it in the past, you know, maybe next year will be the year. Uh, with uh, 11 teams. Of course, you know what? I, I think that'll be the year, right, Matt? Because, you know, with Rice moving on, uh, you'll you'll pass the torch. Well, it'll be, what, a, 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 an American preview, right? Or have you not crossed I that bridge yet? I had a, a Western Kentucky, the Tower, the Tower Act blog, uh, uh, reached out on Twitter and said, everyone go get it. It's the last USA preview. And I was like, <laughs> oh, 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 it is. <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't thought about that, getting all up in the field. Exactly. So I will have to try and, and, you know, maybe pick up the torch next year. But again, I know that's a huge undertaking, so you deserve all of the praise that comes with that. But without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into things. And also, for regular listeners, due to the, uh, or I won't say due to the, uh, thanks to the magic of editing, you will hear Joe Lonergan on this podcast. So uh, don't fret. You'll hear his voice 
after we finish this section. But got to start, man. Uh, just want to take it away with your preview. Just, you know, why don't you go ahead and fill the listeners in, Matt? Uh, just out of curiosity, you know, how long does it take from start to finish in terms of research? If you want to let the listeners in on, you know, how you go about doing the research and, and just how long does this project take to get off the ground from start to finish? Yeah, so I was actually talking with some family about that last night as uh, my wife was explaining tomorrow is launch day. And they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, it means work is done. Uh, start for the preview usually starts in October. Um, it's the last week of June as we record this. So uh, October, I get the all the editing and the doc kind of set up and formatted so all the pretty pictures look good. Um, through Christmas and January is when I go get all the stats, all the uh, – graphs and returning production and things like that that go into that that's available and then before you know it we're into spring ball and so I kind of put my my feelers out and kind of get a good sense for what I kind of think are the major storylines going throughout different programs and then about March April I reach out to guys like like you beat writer covering FIU because you should know FIU better than I can or better than someone calling it from national magazine that's the plan so uh, kind of get in deep. And that's what I think the, the strongest part of this preview is. It's not just me uh, pontificating my thoughts about Western Kentucky or Florida or Atlantic or Charlotte. It's working with people on the ground and getting their thoughts and kind of combining that with a, a wider scope. So what is that? October to June, it takes nine months, roughly. I was told there would be no math. To, to, uh, <laughs> or maybe I assume that to get it all out there. And uh, and it's done. So it's pretty exciting. Um, it's good to be done. I guess this is, I'm trying to remember, is this the fourth year that we put it out, I believe? Uh, I believe so. I should know. Yeah, fourth year. And it's just a good insight because I kind of found when I started, just a little quick backstory, when I started covering Rice and Conference USA, I found that a lot of these national magazines would just have like three paragraphs on the G5 schools. And I'm like, that's great, but I need to know more about UTEP than the starting quarterback's name is X. Um, and so I started digging, that's how I got here. But yeah, it's uh, eight bucks for anybody to pick it up uh, at theroost.com slash shop. Um, I had one administrator say it was the Bible uh, for, for Rice fans or CS and CUSA fans. Uh, I don't know if that is, is good enough selling points of accolades, but I know yourself and lots of quality people help put it together. So. Uh, I'm excited that it's out and uh, happy to talk through it or anything else that's going on in Conference USA. Plenty going on in Conference USA. We certainly will get to it. But no, Matt, I just, again, I just want to piggyback off what you said there. I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, uh, for someone like myself, I'll use my time as a graduate of, you know, now a looming power five school, uh, big 12 school in UCF. But during my time there, I'm not even talking about the American. I'm talking back to the old conference USA days. And it even felt, you know, growing up here in, in Florida, this is 2010, 2011, 2012. Yeah, the program was successful, but, it, you know, it was a blip on the radars of the Miami's Florida, Florida states. And when you'd read your yearly college football preview in the Orlando Sentinel or the St. Pete Times or whatever it was, you'd get, you know, a paragraph or two on UCF or USF or whatever, you know, just a handful of things about maybe the star player or the quarterback or whatever. And then you'd see, you know, the big boys, the big three, I see that in air quotes. And you obviously can relate to this living in the Lone Star State of Texas, you know, they get two, three page spreads, right? So that, that, uh, that 
aspect of it definitely uh, uh, rings a bell with me. I, I do want to ask you this as we dive into kind of some of the highlights I wanted to fish out here and just want to start with your Conference USA all-conference teams. Uh, what goes into that as far as you choosing those those uh, honors? And um, definitely going to you know take a, a look at a few names here. I think you could be in different spots, but want to give you the floor to explain that first. And that's exactly why I put this in here, because no matter what I write, someone will be mad. <laughs> that's the only reason that all conference teams exist, uh, in my opinion. Conference USA, the conference office, uh, I think last year they just put out like basically six honorable mentions per team, no first or second or anything. You um, get a mention. You get a mention. That That's, yeah, that's what that's, it felt like. That's not right. You have to leave someone out. Um, so the first things first is – I even drop everybody off the list and I kind of build the list from scratch in my head. Um, and so I put all the names out of like, who's coming back? Because primarily all conference teams are guys who did it last year. It's very rare that a, a freshman or a transfer comes in. And I don't know, it's kind of like an unspoken rule that you can't put them on the list until they do something. Um, so I kind of start there and then I kind of look through and I talk with folks and they say, okay, who did I miss and why? And then I can kind of assess it. So uh, I think one of my biggest takeaways this year as I was putting it together, we always talk about quarterback play in Conference USA. Uh, I came up with two quarterbacks that I could even make a rational argument could possibly be on the list. Um, so by default, <laughs> Frank Harris at UTSA and, and Chris Reynolds at Charlotte were my uh, all-conference picks at quarterback because – that's about it. That's coming back. So there was some positions that were remarkably thin. Um, and then other positions like wide receiver. I'm like, I, I only have six spots plus the all purpose. I, there was probably 10, 11, 12 guys that I could have put on that list. It was so hard. want to, you know, ask you something here, Matt. And, and you mentioned, I think you made a great point in terms of, you said it's an unwritten rule in terms of not putting transfers or people, you know, you're trying to project. I, I, I'll give you my opinion. I am in the same camp as you. However, I usually get a lot of flack when I produce my, you know, top 30, top 35, or in previous years I've done top 50. This year will be top 35 players in Conference USA. And I don't put a transfer in there. And, you know, I'm not going to put a, a Jarrett Daigie or a Traylon Smith. And, and it's not to say that there aren't productive players. But I don't know. I mean, are, are you kind of along my lines of thinking where you're just a little bit biased to the guys who are returning? Uh, I think that's part of it. And then the other part is if you were going to be an all-conference caliber player without playing down in, in Conference USA, there needs to be some sort of extraordinary circumstance that makes it happen. You know, if, if we have, you know, DJ Ugalele gets beat out at, at Clemson, he, just, he decides to transfer to Charlotte next year. I'm probably going to put DJ, probably second female conference USA quarterback, uh, because he's a five-star talent and that is still there. Like, it had to be something like that. But generally, those kind of players don't end up in Conference USA. Um, so I don't think it's a hard fast rule for me, but it would take something, something of that ilk. So let's go and jump into your list here, and I will ask you about certain curiosities. It's one being Grant DeBose and Vic Tucker. Um, I think you can flip those either way, so I don't necessarily have an issue with in terms of the names. I'm just curious what gave you the um, – what was the deciding factor as far as choosing DeBose over Vic? 
I think DuBose is, is one of the most fascinating stories in Conference USA, for, especially from last year. I mean, he was playing, uh, I believe, like D2 and, and made the jump up. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's right. Uh, made the jump up to, to Charlotte and just exploded in their, their game against helped them beat Duke. A uh, huge win and just had an incredible season. And, and Victor Tucker was really good. But I guess we really haven't – his past two seasons haven't been as good as, uh, as 2019, kind of when he had his breakout campaign. So I know Victor Tucker is still good, uh, but DuBose kind of became the go-to guy in that offense last year. So I think every team in conference should say would love to have both of them. But I got to give the nod to, you know, like we were talking about, the guy who has produced, produced at the highest level most recently. No, you are correct when you mentioned him going from D2, and I think that's a fair point. It's just – I know for me personally, I'm a little biased. I mean, maybe because I'm here in South Florida and I've seen Vic's career from the time he was a Carroll City chief. But you are right. DeBose, you know, is a bit of a, a bigger, more of a – I, I guess a, I don't want to say a ideal – wide receiver size, but that pro type wide receiver size. And he definitely did emerge out of nowhere. Uh, want to get to the tight end spot because Matt, I think if, if I were to have a gripe, this is the one that, that honestly caught me off guard. You went with Oscar Cardenas over Josh Simon. And yes, I understand Simon's coming back from injury, but even Oscar Cardenas wasn't even the full-time starting tight end in, uh, in San Antonio. So I'm definitely curious what the, what uh, led you to that decision. Well, I think that one, that was hard. That was another t- position where, I don't know, if, if I could make a list of who is all-conference caliber elite, I honestly don't think there is an elite tight end in Conference USA right now. Uh, I mean, you could find some guys that you're like, oh, this guy could do it. Um, but but even like Josh Simon, like he had, had only seen, you know, a little bit of action, played in a couple games, had some, some good catches, but not a ton at Western Kentucky uh, two years ago. So he doesn't really have, you know, like we talked about, that, that production coming back. Uh, I think Oscar Cadenas, he's another guy that I think he was the fourth-string tight end last spring at UTSA. And so he kind of – he wasn't a full-time guy and kind of worked his way – into the season as it progressed. And now, you know, if you look at, that's why I think if you look at his grand total stats, you're like, man, that's not good enough. Uh, but if you look at, you know, how he kind of grew into his role, that's kind of what, what did it for me. Um, if you want to argue for Josh Simon, that's, that's fine. I don't really have a, I'm not going to draw a line in the sand on Conference USA tight ends. I, just, I don't <laughs> see a ton at the position across the board this year. That's that's certainly a fair point. The uh, the last one, although I guess, and maybe this is just me being close to home, I could make an argument if Rivaldo Fairweather down at FIU, certainly an, an athletic talent. But again, uh, as you mentioned, we're we're truly getting deep into the weeds if we're you know making that argument here. So uh, last one, and again, this may be one that I'm just truly close to the situation and and have a great appreciation for this player, um, Evan Anderson. I find him, Matt, and I don't know how much you've had a chance to really watch him, or I'm sure you've, you know, talked to the Kevin Fielders and, you know, Zach Weinbergers of the world, you know, down at FAU over in Boca, who um, cover that team. But man, he is a fascinating kid at 6'3, 6'4, was 270, excuse me, 370 when he came into FAU and now is that big, stereotypical nose tackle, nose guard at, at, at 340. Um, just your thoughts on him as far as the the second team? Because I did see who you had there on the first team, and I think as far as on the end with Praise Amahule and Jay Ferg, Jordan Ferguson, 
I think those are locks. I think the other two, again, you're kind of splitting hairs. No wrong, right or wrong answer. We're just curious uh, what went into the decision-making there. So I have Marquise Watts and Akina and Ichuku at Rice. But Watts at Charlotte, Akina at Rice as the two guys in front of them. And if you want to make a swap for, for Anderson, I could hear the argument. He's, he's obviously had a, had a great season. Uh, last year, really, really talented guy and a, a difference maker on that line. I, I think the just defensive line in general was takes a lot of depth. There's, there's, that's one of the things, putting the three, you got to learn things. And I kind of went into the year kind of assuming that, man, th- these are kind of where I thought Rice would have one of the most stacked defensive lines coming back because they return almost everybody. Uh, and a guy like Akina, like he's getting looks from pro scouts um, as a junior. So I'm just kind of putting the pieces together. The, the line is a lot deeper across the conference than maybe I initially expected. Um, I guess the, the nod for me with, with Akina is over, over Anderson with the length uh, and the versatility. Of Akina is now, I guess he's going to be going into his fourth season, uh, can play basically every position along the line. You'll see him line up on the interior and on the edge. And he can just – he's kind of like that skeleton key that you can really play a lot of different combinations on the defense because he's on the field. So that was kind of the difference maker for me, the versatility and the ability uh, to let him be kind of stand anywhere and put stand up, hand to the ground, and do a couple of things uh, that kind of gave him the edge over Anderson. But obviously, both talented players. Again, cannot recommend this preview enough. If you have not had the chance to go out and get it, please do. You can find it at The Roost. We will absolutely make sure that we drop a link uh, either by retweeting or let me go ahead and redo this again. Probably not going to want me promoting that uh, in the article, but we can definitely retweet that. Three, two, and one. Cannot recommend this preview enough. Uh, If you have not had a chance, we will go ahead and make sure we retweet this so you have a link to Matt's preview again. It is one of the top conference previews top to bottom pound for pound i don't care what conference it is it is one of the best out there so matt does a phenomenal job on that but we'd be remiss if we did not get his thoughts on everything conference usa kind of in between what's been happening uh gonna start matt with my quarterback preview Uh, i published of course we're in the midst of our preseason preview uh series where we preview every conference usa position one by one and kind of give you our read on who we think is going to be top to bottom in the conference and i know you had a chance to take a look at you know where i had the quarterbacks ranked just curious your thoughts on you know good bad or otherwise just how i kind of picked apart what you had there feel free to give me your thoughts on what you had there anything to stand out to you and in, in specificity of course we'll get into the rice quarterback conversation separately uh i was kind of reading through and you put it like well, how many teams are in conference usa i'm losing uh, 11. A yes <laughs> yeah so you you have rice listed at 10th and your your quarterback article and, and honestly i think that's fair I, you know hope is not a strategy <laughs> and i feel like rice has a lot of hope that they will have an answer at the position this year but we're going on I guess every fifth year, fifth year now of, of, of Bloomgren's tenure that they haven't found uh, an answer at the quarterback position. Rice has now started more quarterbacks since the 2018 season than any other FBS program. All 100, how would it, 130, 131. Rice has started more quarterbacks than any team in the country. And if, you know, depending on how the, the position shakes out this year, T.J. McMahon 
could win the job and, and add to that number. So I think until I actually see it, uh, I kind of am in holding pattern to, to see if they're actually going to be able to find somebody who can be the guy. And they had a lot of guys go down with injuries. That has made that really difficult. But uh, nonetheless, we're, we're still going five years in and we need, we need somebody. I want to ask you this, just, you know, from your lay perspective, who do you think has the biggest boomer bust potential as far as the quarterback position in the conference? Oh, that's, that's hard. Um, I think it might, I'll, I'll give you two. Okay. Sure. I, I think UAB is really, really interesting because Jacob Zeno, former blue chip recruit at Baylor had a kind of, he was forced to take all the reps in spring as, as Dylan Hopkins was recovering from non throwing shoulder uh, off season surgery. And he kind of lit it up and got people talking. You know, everybody is the best shape they've ever been in spring, and everybody's doing great. So, like, take that with some of a grain of salt. Uh, <laughs> sure. But I think I think the shift, and we'll get to this, I'm sure, the shift from Bill Clark um, to Brian Vincent uh, calling the shots at UAB. I, I talked to Evan Dudley at AL.com. That's going to be in the, the Roost podcast coming out, uh, you know, probably concurrently with this one. And he kind of seemed to think that that might – lead to a shift in the UAB offense, they might lean a bit towards more passing. So I think Jacob Zeno is really interesting because UAB hasn't really – they've kind of been erratic. Tyler Johnson was, was very, very boom-bust and had some moments. So I think that's one. And then the other one I would point to that I think is really interesting is Louisiana Tech because the kind of style of offense that Sonny Comby is going to put in, he has two guys that uh, – have very, very little college production, um, but Matthew Downing from TCU and, and Parker McNeil at Texas Tech, those are both guys that have been with Cumby at his previous stops and know the system. And I'm not going to, you know, try and dumb down the air raid too much or belittle it, but if you have a guy that knows where to put the football in one of your only handful of route combinations, you can stack up numbers really, really quick. So those are two situations that I would keep my eye on. Like, they might end up horribly, but they could also surprise. No disagreement there. I know for me, Matt, and I'll give you two of my own. Well, one, I'm sold on Western Kentucky. I think they hit a absolute grand slam getting Jarrett Dagey. I think he's going to come in. I think he's going to win the job. And let's, you know, hypothetical for a second that he doesn't. Again, maybe I'm close to the situation, but they got a kid from West Florida and Austin Reed who – I don't know. I don't understand how Austin Reed is not a starting quarterback in Conference USA. I absolutely <laughs> should have Austin Reed on their roster. The fact that he could be a backup this year is ridiculous. I'll be completely honest with you, Matt. I, I thought the program that I cover would have taken a run at him. Maybe that was a situation where the timing that he entered the portal and, you know, FI is going through a coaching change. And obviously he had plenty of, uh, of offers. You know, he had his pick. But I, I just thought, you know, Hell, I thought he could have went to USF and challenge as well. So the fact that he ended up in Western Kentucky, and that's not a slide on the tops, but as you mentioned, he, he I think he's a starter. So uh, I think he's a nail on the head there. So I'm sold on Western Kentucky. But I'm taking a look, taking a look, Matt, over in Denton, and they have talented guys. I think I they just, have six scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. I feel it's a – I, I feel it's a matter of this. That run game 
and I will publish uh, my running back preview uh, this upcoming Monday. So check that out. But they've got three guys who last year alone produced 1300 yards. And that's not even counting the 1200 that DeAndre Torrey uh, put up. So they're going to have a run game and they're also going to get back um, for getting the Oscar Adaway. They're going to get back Oscar Adaway from injury. So they're going to have a stable of backs. If they can just, I feel there's two ways they can do this. They can either ride the running backs and nothing wrong with being the game manager. You know, I feel like Austin Ani, I feel like, it, Matt, isn't he default game managers by the fact that he's as old as us? He's Yeah, he's he's 45 years old. And <laughs> he's, he might not be quite, but it's, it's close. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like you can stick with, you know, Steady Eddie. You got Austin Ani, who you know. Um, you look at his numbers. 3,641 yards, 22 touchdowns, 13 picks, but very pedestrian. Or you can go with the former four-star. You got Jace Reuter. You got Grant Gunnell, who, you know, was in Arizona and Memphis. And then you got J.D. Head, who even, you know, played well in Louisiana Tech. So I'm really interested to see what happens with that North Texas uh, situation. Because I think if that defense keeps trending in the right direction, which, again, it doesn't take much to trend in the right direction based off of where they were the past few years, and they get steady production at the quarterback play, that's going to be a challenge. So that's what I've got my eye on. But I did mention, Matt, that we would come back and kind of take a, a dive into Rice. And when I went through and was doing my preview, I don't know about you if the COVID year is getting you, but I, I had to do a double take. I was like, Wiley Green still? Because I covered Wiley Green's first start. <laughs> when Wiley, Wiley Green's first career start at Rice was 2018 at FIU. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that that was a uh, Sean uh, Stankovich, I believe, uh, missed the start, and um, I'm pretty sure that was that was yeah that 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 was yeah that was Stankovich year, and um, and Wiley Green got the start at FIU, so I, you know maybe FIU has aged me that much where so much has gone on that program that felt like a lifetime ago, but I was like, damn, Wiley Green is still there, but of course it's the COVID year, so um, if you don't mind, I'll you touch on a little bit, but you know bring us inside a little bit. What's going to be the situation there that that you find with the. Uh, with the quarterback situation. And you know what, since the running back preview is coming out as well, if you want to touch on the backs with, you know, Kalen Griffin, obviously transferring out, you got a uh, Juma Atoviano. I always mispronounce that, uh, that last name, but I know he's back. Um, uh, Ari Broussard, correct. It should be the leading rusher returning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I'll let you take returning rusher. Yeah. Leading, yeah. Yeah. So I'll let you go and take those two positions and uh, go in any direction you want. Okay. Quarterback is interesting because you mentioned Wiley Green was actually part of Mike Bloomberg's initial recruiting class. So he came in in 2018, ended up starting because of a string of injuries, so it's running theme at the position. And he has been kind of very – he's been very inconsistent in his time as a starter. Uh, he was the quarterback at the helm when, when Rice upset UAB in Birmingham last year at Protective Stadium. And he – was was clinical. I think he he completed 22 of 24 passes uh, to end the game. Uh, three touchdowns, maybe two picks. He was he was perfect. He was masterful. And he the coaches say that he has a PhD in the right offense. And this is not a you know a you know, spread five plays and you're done. This is a very sophisticated NFL pro style offense that he has full mastery of. So his knock has kind of been that decision-making, when he gets hit, clustered, that's when he's made bad decisions, dropped the football, and thrown places he shouldn't. So as kind of the proven experience, he's the vet in the room. He was the team captain last year. 
Um, even though he wasn't a starting quarterback at one point, there was a backup quarterback that was a team captain for some weeks, which, I mean, you've covered football for a long time, Eric. How often does that happen? <laughs> Never. Not very, not very often. So that tells you how beloved this guy is in the locker room, that his teammates voted him a captain regardless of if he was going to start. So that's one piece. The other piece is T.J. McMahon, who I kind of just labeled the wild card. Um, in the Louisiana Tech game at the end of last year, he came in in the middle of that game and was playing pretty well in the fourth quarter and threw an interception, and Louisiana Tech went down and scored. And so instead of a one-score game with plenty of time left in the fourth quarter, he was facing a two-score deficit with six minutes left in the fourth quarter. And then he came back and he led two touchdown drives and rushed one. So that's kind of what you get with T.J. McMahon. He's kind of rusty. He hasn't started a game for Rice or at the D1 level yet. But, you know, risk-reward, the potential is there. It's just, do you want to roll the dice? I think that's something that Bloomgren has been really reticent to do in years past. But I think it might be getting at the point where you kind of need you need to hit. So we'll see if they go there. And I think the running back position is really interesting. Flari Broussard, a former high school running back, converted, converted to linebacker his freshman year at Rice. And then because of injuries, actually, during the spring, the coaching staff, hey, can you come play running back again just so we have bodies? And ended up leading the offense in rushing yards in the spring game. Uh, went back the next year, uh, led the offense in rushing yards during the spring game. And then now last year was his breakout year is, you know, de facto the, the leading guy for most of the season. So I think Rice is going to be very – uh, slice and dice at how they attack the running back position because they have so many different guys. They've got a lot of depth at the position coming in through the transfer portal. I think you'll see Ari be that between the tackles bruiser, that short yardage guy. In, in some instance, I think Dean Connors, he came in from Juco, is more of a slasher. He can kind of get in, hit a hole, and explode. Has a lot of power uh, on that cut. And then they brought in, uh, actually about a month ago now from, from Louisiana, uh, Uriah West, who's another transfer, kind of an all-purpose guy, can do a bunch of different things. So I, I will we'll see what happens. Rice really hasn't had a, a true bell cow running back for a while since probably Austin Walter was back there, and even he, he shared snaps. Uh, he's now off in the NFL. So when you have an NFL player, you put him in, on the field. That's the rule. But when you might not, uh, it might be a whole host of guys. Really quick, uh, you kind of caught my attention there when you mentioned Uriah West. Well, I didn't even realize he's on the roster. I'll have to go back and edit that in in post-production. Uh, Uriah West is a player I had a chance. Of course, as you mentioned, you know, you cover cultural ball enough. You, you come across plenty of players. Uriah West was at Jacksonville State. I had a chance Jacksonville to see him. Jacksonville State, yes. As soon as I said Louisiana, I'm like, that's not right. Other red jerseys. <laughs> yeah, I had a chance to see him when um, Jacksonville State came into Miami and upset the Panthers. So uh, just really caught my attention there. But, no, I appreciate the breakdown there as far as those two positions. And – Again, we would uh, be remiss if we didn't talk about kind of the major news in Conference USA, um, definitely within, I guess we're now taping what, on the 29th, so we're a few days removed from it. Bill Clark's sudden retirement. Uh, you mentioned our friend Evan Dudley. We had Evan Dudley on the podcast. You'll you'll hear that podcast as well, where he kind of gave us the nuts and bolts as to his retirement. Just from an outsider's perspective, Matt, what are, what are your thoughts and you know instantaneous reaction when you heard that one of the 
not only one of the top coaches in Conference USA in G5 football, but really a rising coach who's had the opportunity, you know, an Alabama native. If he wanted to go elsewhere, he could have, but chose to stay home in Alabama and appears right now, at least, you know, no real sign of what the future may hold. But for right now, he's walking away from football. I mean, I was stunned for, for one, because you don't like coaches don't change jobs in June. And if they do, it is usually, I mean, some sort of scandal or something bizarre happens. And that's just kind of, kind of doesn't happen terribly often. You remember the guys who, who have gone through something like that. So it came off guard, uh, but also because, you know, I mentioned the, the preview, it takes me nine months to put this together. And then mid June, I hit save and I kind of start putting my final touches together. And I say, hey, nobody do anything. Just for two weeks in June until this gets published, nobody retire, nobody transfer. And then you have Katie Davis from North Texas enter the transfer portal and then come back. And I was like, okay. And then you have Bill Clark retire. And I, and I literally wrote uh, verbatim um, in my UAB section of the preview that had the sense changed that as long as Bill Clark remains in Birmingham, you can't write off UAB in any capacity. <laughs> I wrote that in the preview, hit save, kind of did a final round of edits, and then like a week later, Bill Clark's out. And I was just like, guys, come on. Um, but I think it's interesting because obviously it's unexpected, but it kind of felt that when Bill Clark didn't take uh, or didn't end up getting any of those jobs that he was kind of rumored to be in the mix for after all those, you know, conference title winning seasons. It just kind of felt like I assumed that he would be there forever, <laughs> that he would just become the, you know, the Rick Stockville or Doc Holiday that just kind of settled in and it's good forever. <laughs> Maybe not conference title good every year, but good. And, and then he left. So I think it's interesting because I, I want to believe that, it was a program culture that kind of culminated with everything and UAB coming back from getting shut down and all of that, that kind of put UAB over the top. And it, and it wasn't just uh, Bill Clark that worked his magic and made it happen. Uh, maybe that's just because like some of Bill Clark's offensive tendencies drove me crazy when I watched UAB's high football games, but this is going to kind of be the prove it year where, okay, especially with, you know, Brian Vincent now being the interim head coach for a year and you have UAB moving to the AAC in 2023. This is going to be interesting year to find out how much of UAB being great was Clark and how much was the program itself. And until proven otherwise, I'm still sticking that this is an elite program and Bill Clark was a very good coach. Uh, not the other way around. I absolutely second those statements. You know, I've gotten asked over the past few days, hopped on with another, you know, person in the Conference USA space, and Sonoy Valente does a great job uh, out at their uh, Mean Green report. But um, I I've been asked by various people, you know, my thoughts on the UAB situation. And I, I just think, A, everything you mentioned is true about him being a, a phenomenal coach and, and it being a phenomenal program. But I think they're set up really well for the future. You talk about protective stadium. They had a brand new stadium last year. They move into it, not even for the start of last year, a few weeks into the year that stadium opens up. Uh, I believe they opened up against Liberty, if memory serves me correct. And they have the practice facilities as well. And I think when you couple that with the move to the American, 
you did a little speculation with Evan as far as Brian Vincent, and you touch on a little bit as far as that offense maybe evolving with Brian Vincent, someone who likes to push the ball downfield. If you look at the yards per attempt of quarterbacks in the Bryant Vincent system, they typically are well, uh, usually in the tops amongst a college ball rank, somewhere around eight to nine yards. I believe Dylan Hopkins was 9.9 yards per attempt. So clearly that offense may be evolved, but back to my point about the program, if they don't go with Bryant Vincent, Bill Clark was making $1.5 million. And you know, that budget is going to increase when they move to the American. So in my mind, if you play around with a budget between 1.5 and say two low $2 million, I don't think they're going to have to settle. And I say settle in air quotes. Uh, I should use a different word. I don't think they're going to be limited to just FBS assistant coaches or maybe a rising FCS you know, head coach. In my mind, and I'll just throw out this hypothetical for for you. Know, I'm curious your thoughts. I look at my alma mater in UCF, and they managed to hit a proverbial jackpot when they got Gus Malzahn, a, a Power 5 coach who was relieved of his duties at Auburn, and I think took a look at the landscape and said, wait a minute, I, I can dive right back into the fire at another Power 5 where you know, I'm signing a five-year contract, and by year three, if things aren't exactly where I need them, all of a sudden I'm fighting for my job. Or I can go to UCF, which at the time you know, it was a G5 and entering their last year, a group of five, and really kind of, you know, make this thing my own. So in my mind, again, if this is a total hypothetical, because they can, all things considered, they could just stick with Brian Vincent. But uh, what's your thought on that, Matt? I, I think, again, given everything this program has to offer, it wouldn't shock me to see, I'll throw out a name, you know, a Kevin Sumlin or someone who's made a lot of money decide, hey, this might be somewhere I can, you know, jumpstart my career again. UAB head coach, Kevin Sumlin. Oh. <laughs> you like that? You like that? That's a bad idea. No, it would not be good. <laughs> General rule, unless Bob Stoops don't fire, don't hire a former XFL, USFL head coach. <laughs> just, just saying. Um, no, I think not coming someone aside, but I think it's interesting. I think that's kind of going to come down to, yeah, they're going to have the money. I think Seth Luttrell is making about $2 million a year at North Texas right now. So he's currently the highest paid conference USA head coach to my knowledge. Uh, obviously UAB will be able to, to match that or be in the ballpark. So they'll have options, but I think when it comes to that kind of job, I think you got to look at what's going on at Houston with with Dana Holberson, who left West Virginia to come to Houston. And people said, you are crazy. Uh, and now Houston's going up to the Big 12 and everything worked out. But I think what Houston had uh, the Tillman Fertitta commitment to making that program athletically as good as they could be. UAB obviously has had a lot of commitment since they came back the new stadium. You mentioned the practice facility. So that's there. And then I think it's, it's part that, and it, it comes down to kind of the personality and what the, what the AD wants and, and kind of what the athletic department wants as a whole. So I think UAB, they've really set themselves to go up in, in a lot of different directions. And I think we're just going to have to see what happens because UAB is kind of in this interesting spot because, you know, I don't think they have the cachet of, of a UCF or a uh, Houston or, you know, the Boise State, uh, you know, the, the upper tier San Diego State, maybe those, 
those G5 programs that have been so consistently good, not even elite, but just consistently good for so long that they've kind of entered that that tier of the upper tier of the G5 for good. And, and I think UAB has done a lot of things in the past couple of years that are really good, but I don't know if UAB is an elite G5 job yet. Uh, I think it's hard to make an argument that a job in the current iteration of Conference USA is an elite G5 job just because purely on the resources. Now, if UAB makes that jump to the American, they have that greater investment and they win this year to kind of prove that, no, we're coach-proof. We don't need Bill Clark. Then I think it gets really interesting as who might really want that job. All fair points. Going to get ready to close up here, Matt, and anyone who listens to this podcast know that we, we like to try to end things on a fun note with all of our guests, and you are no different a uh, friend of the pod, so we're going to hit you with a little bit of lightning round and a couple random questions at the end. Going to start here. Uh, pretty simple. Coke or Pepsi? Oh, Coke. <laughs> Do people say Pepsi? Hey, listen, you'd be surprised. You, 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 would, <laughs> you, would, you would be surprised. Uh, the best barbecue in the South uh, that is not in Texas is where? Oh, don't make me pick. Uh, is Tennessee the South? I, I consider Tennessee the South. Okay, I'll go Tennessee. Nashville hot chicken or Texas yes. barbecue? Oh. You walked into that. See, I, I wasn't even going to go oh. there, but you threw the Tennessee thing out, so... <laughs> Uh, it depends on my mood. <laughs> That's I, impossible. It, it, don't shoot me, but I might go. Not, I might go Nashville hot chicken. Hey, you gotta take that up. I know it's sacrilege, but I might do it. <laughs> Beach or pool? Uh, neither. Ah, okay. All right. I, no, no, not, I, no. I'll, I'll let you enjoy the water. I'll kick back in the AC. <laughs> Not mad at that answer at all. Uh, let's go with a, a Conference USA wide receiver question here. Zachary Franklin or Tyrese Chambers? Yes. Uh, <laughs> if I had to pick one, I'm sorry, uh, FIU fans, I I'm going Zachary Franklin. No, no, no problem with that answer at all. Uh, last one here for you, Matt. Uh, Go-to cocktail of choice. Old-fashioned. Okay. Okay. Um, any specific uh, bourbon you're using there? I am all purpose. Anything good. I accept recommendations. Go do this. Go go purchase the preview, and then uh, leave me a comment in the notes on what bourbon I need to get. Everybody wins. You heard it there from the man himself. As <laughs> always, we want to thank our special guest, and that is. The managing editor of The Roost, you can find him on Twitter at The Roost. That is Matthew Bartlett. Matt, really appreciate you making the time for jumping on. As always, it's our pleasure having you on, man. And again, you know, cannot uh, really emphasize enough. You have a great job you do this preview. So thank you for making the time, sir. Love doing it, man. Thanks for the invitation, as always. Anytime.